Well, um, if you're looking up on the screen, you see that the sermon once again is entitled Stay Tuned. Uh, That's what I tell Mike when he asks for me to give him a sermon title before I'm ready to give him one. I just say, stay tuned. And then sometimes that's what ends up in the bulletin because I don't give it to him. So um, I don't know what the title of the sermon today would be. Uh, Maybe you can title it over lunch. I don't know. But uh, we're picking up this morning in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, You might remember that we are making a journey through the Gospel of Luke throughout now, throughout the Easter season. Uh, with maybe one exception. And so today we find ourselves with Jesus teaching and preaching at the, at the sea, of, at Lake Genesaret. Is that how you said it? It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, so you could pick one of those. I'm not going to try to say that other thing again. But uh, it is a body of water that's more accurately described as a lake rather than a sea. It's a fresh water, uh, it's fresh body of water. It's about 13 miles long. It's about eight miles wide. It's about 680 degrees, uh, 680 feet below sea level. And uh, this area, uh, this lake, this sea is essential to the quality of life in the surrounding Galilean area. And so you might remember that the last time we heard Jesus preaching, he was preaching in his hometown church. He was preaching in the synagogue at Nazareth. And the sermon didn't really sit well with the hometown crowd. In fact, by the time that Jesus had finished preaching that sermon, they were mad as they could be. And they took Jesus out to a cliff where they planned to just toss him over the edge. And we're told that Jesus just walked right through the middle of that crowd and continued to say the things that God had called Jesus to say and do the things that God had called Jesus to do. And so in our scripture this morning, Jesus is once again teaching and preaching, but this time he's beside the lake. Um, He will go back to the synagogue again, but the time is coming when the doors of the synagogue will be closed to Jesus because of the things he's saying and because of the things he's doing won't sit well. And when those doors of the synagogue are closed to Jesus, he will continue to proclaim the word of God, but he'll do it in other places. He'll do it beside the lake. He'll do it on the road. He'll do it on a hillside. He'll do it in people's homes. Wherever people are willing to listen, Jesus will go to proclaim the good news of God's reign. And the people are willing to listen. In our text this morning, we're told that the crowds have grown so large that they're pressing in on Jesus from all over that Jesus decides to borrow a boat to step inside the boat and to ask that the boat be pushed out just a little ways. It's a way of creating some distance, some separation between him and this mass of people that are coming. And we're told that they're not coming because of the miracles that Jesus has been doing and that they're not coming because of the healing that Jesus has been doing. Uh, They're coming to hear him proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. 
They're coming to hear him preach God's word. Now, presumably, this crowd that's coming to hear him preach is the same crowd that was in chapter 4. But in chapter 4, we're told that the crowd was much more interested in the miracles that Jesus was doing, in the healings that Jesus was making happen. But there comes a time at the end of chapter 4 where Jesus says, now hold on, the time has come now for me to leave and to go to other cities where I must proclaim the good news of the reign of God, God's Word. And so that crowd that in chapter 4 was all about the miracles and all about the healings, well now, because of what Jesus has said, they're all about hearing Him proclaim the good news. That's exactly what's happening in our Scripture lesson from this morning. Now the boat that Jesus uses to create that distance, that separation between Him and the crowd, belongs to a man named Simon. He's a local fisherman. Now, fish was a staple of first century Palestine. It's believed that fish, more fish was consumed than any other meat. And the fishing industry around the Sea of Galilee was flourishing during Jesus' day. And so, um, Jesus gets into this boat that is owned by Simon, and he asks him to push out a little bit away. And it's interesting. He doesn't ask if he can get in the boat. According to the scripture, it just says he got in. And he just told Peter, push this thing out a little ways so that I can continue to teach the people that are on the shore. Well, this is not the first interaction that Peter has had with Jesus. Uh, You may not ask for this miracle. You may not want this miracle, but his mother-in-law was sick. And he actually asked for her to be healed. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Um, Sometimes they bomb. First service laugh. They're my new favorite service. Um, (laughs) So... So he's had this interaction with Simon, with Jesus previously. He, he has been asked by Simon to heal his mother-in-law. She's got a high fever, and he asks Jesus for help, and Jesus goes, and he, and he rebukes the fever out of his mother-in-law, and it's fine. And maybe that's why Simon doesn't object to Peter getting into his boat, is because he remembers what Jesus has already done in healing his mother-in-law from her fever. Uh, but then when Jesus is finished preaching to the crowd on the shore that day, he looks back over at Peter and he says, uh, Simon, I want you to push out into the deep water and I want you to cast out your nets for a catch. Now, as far as we know, Jesus was not a fisherman. We know from Scripture that he was a carpenter, his father was a carpenter, and it was customary in that day for you to assume the work of your father uh, as you were growing up. Uh, We know that he's already being recognized as being a pretty effective preacher and speaker and, and a wonder worker. He's done some miracles and he's done some healing, but there's no evidence at all in Scripture that Jesus had ever spent any time fishing. Um... Can you imagine then what these men, these fishermen were thinking when Jesus tells them uh, to 
push out into the deep water and to cast out their nets. I mean, Simon has probably dropped more nets in the last year than Jesus would have ever dropped in his entire life. And Simon has been out all night long with his friends, and they have had the worst night you could have. It was completely unsuccessful. They hadn't caught a single fish. And no doubt that Simon is tired, and no doubt he's discouraged, and no doubt he's frustrated, and he's not even done yet. I mean, he's been out all night fishing, and he hadn't caught anything, but now he has to get those boats out of the water. And now he has to take those nets out of the boat and wash them. And if there any of them have been uh, in need of repair, if any of them have broken during the night, then he has to kind of repair them. And then he has to lay them out so that they would dry. And then you know that he would want to go into the marketplace to see how his competition had done the night before. Did they catch fish that he didn't catch? Are they selling fish that that he didn't sell. So can you imagine that this carpenter telling these fishermen um, uh, to go out into the deep? This guy needs, if you watch TV commercials at all, he needs to stay in your lane, bro. You know, you need to do what you do. You may be a carpenter and you may be a good miracle worker and you may be a good preacher and you may do some wonderful things, but Preaching's my, uh, fishing is my business, and, and, and you just need to stay in your lane. I imagine he's not in a good mood. Simon is not interested in unsolicited advice from someone who doesn't have the experience that he has in the fishing industry. And yet, Simon is willing to try again. He's willing to try again. Even though he's got no fish, which would mean no, no sales, which would mean no money, which would mean no fun, he's willing to cast out his nets in the deep, as Jesus said. And I don't know if this is what we were supposed to glean from the text, but one of the things that sort of speaks to me in this story as I read it is, I wonder how many times I've quit one time too soon. You know, I wanted to do something, I wanted to experience something, I wanted to say something, I wanted to be good at something, and, 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 and I stopped one time short. If I'd just tried one more time, would I have done better, or been better, or experienced something different, or something new, or, or something wonderful? Oftentimes I think that I'm tempted to give up too soon on many of the things that I want to do, that I'd like to do, maybe even that God's calling me to do. And so as I see Peter being willing to let down those nets one more time, I I wonder, um, have I missed that blessing because I stopped one time too short? The other thing that I love about this particular message is that um, uh, they don't wait for perfect circumstances to cast the nets down. You know, you see, fishermen back in Jesus' day believed quite compellingly that the best fishing happened at night. And so they fished all night long during the best time that you could possibly fish, and they hadn't caught anything. And now it's daylight, and Jesus still wants them to go out into the deep water and to drop down their nets. The circumstances are not ideal for fishing. They know that. The circumstances are not perfect for fishing, The fishermen know that, and yet they're willing to do it. 
And I wonder how many times I've missed out on something that God wanted me to say or that God wanted me to do. Or I've just missed out on something good because I was waiting for the perfect circumstances. I was waiting for the ideal situation before I would take that step and do what I wanted to do. But Simon doesn't. He knows that it's not the ideal circumstances. It's not the perfect conditions for fishing. And yet, he's willing to let his nets down one more time. And what happens? He begins to catch so many fish that the nets begin to break under the weight of the fish. Fortunately for him, he's got friends off in the distance. He calls them over with their boat and they begin to try to put all of those fish into the boat. And guess what? They catch so many fish that the boats actually begin to sink. Have you ever wondered how many fish would you have to have in your boat before both boats would start to sink? Well, to put this into perspective... I thought I'd tell you about, in 1986, there was a drought going on in this particular region of the world, and the Sea of Galilee, uh, the water had begun to recede some, and fishermen were out one day fishing, and they could see a part of the sea that they couldn't see normally because the water was down so low, and they saw something jutting up out of the mud. And when they finally unearthed that something out of the mud, what they found was a boat. And it's a boat that has since been traced back to the first century. The kind of boat that Jesus and that Simon and all of the fishermen likely would have used back then. And do you know how big they estimate this boat was back then? 26 and a half feet long. Now, uh, if you got here early this morning, you, you might see me doing any number of things, but this morning I had my tape measure out here, and so I wanted to know what is 26 feet just so we could get kind of a perspective. And so if you start right here and you go all the way over to about right here, this is about 26 feet long. So that's how long the boat was. It was seven and a half feet wide. So if you want to know what that is, you just come back here to this trusty rail right here and you measure all the way out and here is seven and a half feet wide. And it was four and a half feet deep. And so that comes to about right here. Now how many fish would have to be in that boat, 26 and a half feet wide, seven and a half uh, long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep? That would be a lot of fish. It's as if Jesus is trying to communicate to these fishermen and to anybody else that would listen that, hey, this God that, that I'm here talking about, this reign of God desires abundance for you and for all people. That there's more than enough. That there's a great abundance here. And you wonder if those Fishermen, as they're taking all of this in and later reflecting on it, do they start thinking about to their stories of their own faith, about how God provided manna to the Israelites when they were wandering around in the wilderness and there was always enough for them? And you wonder if they were thinking about the prophet Elijah that we talked a little bit about last week, about how when he helped that widow woman that she had a little bit of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug, and, and, and God through Elijah promised that the flour would never run out and that the oil would never be used up. Abundance. Or was he 
thinking about, were they thinking about Elisha when Elisha um, uh, took 20 loaves of barley bread and fed 100 people and there was more left over than they could have ever eaten? The whole point of this story seems to be that it is about the abundance that God seeks to offer them. And wouldn't you expect, when you've experienced such abundance from God, that if you're Simon, you just fall on your knees and profusely thank Him. You know, thank you for this fish. I mean, I am a rich man now. I've got more fish than I know what to do with. I'm going to sell all this fish and life's going to be great. I'm going to be, this is amazing. But he doesn't. Instead, he's overcome by his own sense of sin and inadequacy. Instead of falling to his knees in gratitude, we're told that Simon falls to his knees in despair. And yet, despite his reaction to the abundance that Jesus has just offered him, Jesus still wants Simon to be a fisher of people. He still wants him to go and be fishers of people. It's as if your past and your sin doesn't disqualify you from being called by God. It's as if God isn't concerned about your past at all. And what Simon is being asked to do here is not in his wheelhouse. It's not in his comfort zone. It's not in his area of expertise. In fact, he's being asked to walk away from his area of expertise. He's been asked to walk away from the things that are in his wheelhouse and to go and to follow Jesus. It's as if your past doesn't matter and what your experience or your credentials or your qualifications don't matter either. God can use every single person. And God can equip us for what God has called us to do. The disciples had done nothing to deserve this call of God upon their life. In fact, if you think about it, the disciples had been doing something in their wheelhouse, doing something that was in their area of expertise, and had failed miserably at it. They'd been fishing all night long and hadn't caught anything. And now he's asking them to go do something that's not in their area of expertise. And the other thing that strikes me here. Uh, about this is that, and this might not be good for my business, but, but this call comes to the fishermen in their everyday, ordinary lives. It wasn't some Sunday morning when somebody was standing up in front of them preaching. It was in their everyday, ordinary lives of what they did day after day after day after day that this call came to them. And that's how our call from God often comes to us. And so I wonder, what would you have done? What would you have done if you went from having the worst night ever to having more fish than you'd ever caught in your entire life? From wondering if you were going to have enough money to eat to having more money, you are a rich, rich person if you've got two full boatloads full of fish that you can then take and sell in the marketplace. And yet, these fishermen were willing to leave their boats and all that fish and read all that money 
sitting there on the shore so that they could go and follow Christ and become fishers of people. You may say, well, this makes for a great sermon, Tommy. It, it sounds great, and I can understand why somebody would put it in Scripture, but, you know, I've got a family, and I've got responsibilities, and there's no way in the world that if I had gotten a boatload full of fish that I would have walked away from all of that fame and from all of that fortune to follow Jesus on this journey that He hasn't even really explained to us yet. There's no way that I could do that. I, I'm sorry. And what I would say to you is that while God does sometimes call us to leave everything and go, sometimes God doesn't want us necessarily to leave everything else behind. Sometimes God wants us to, to experience a call and to serve right where we are. God's just inviting us to rearrange or reorganize our priorities, and make sure that God's call upon our life is seen uh, in a greater way in what we're already doing and how we're already serving. Well, on the surface, this is a story about fishing. Somebody had a bad night, then they had a good night, they rejoiced, and then they followed the one who made it all happen. But I think on a deeper level that this story might be about you and me being willing to take risks. About you and me maybe being willing to move outside of our comfort zones. Because I can't help but think that the disciples, had the fishermen had probably been fishing that previous night in their familiar places. The places where they'd always uh, caught fish before. And yet Jesus invited them to go out into the deep. And there might be many reasons why Jesus invited them to go out into the deep, but I'm going to take a guess that the reason why they invited Jesus, the fishermen to go out into the deep is because that's where the fish were. That sometimes that there are blessings, sometimes there are fish outside of our comfort zones, outside of the familiar places where we go to over and over and over again. I wonder if those disciples were just hesitant to get too far out into the deep where the water is darker and deeper and more mysterious and, and, and not wanting to get too far away from shore in case a storm blew up. But Jesus invited them to go deeper. And when they cast out their nets, they found a blessing. I wonder if the point of this story for us in the modern day is to ask ourselves, are we too comfortable in our comfort zones? Are we hesitant to, to break away and move outside of the familiar to the unfamiliar? Are we afraid to go out into the deep because it's dark there and it's uncertain and it's uncharted and we're fearful? And what Jesus seems to be saying that if you're willing to let go of your comfort zone and the familiar, that there are blessings to be found when you go out into the deep and you cast down your nets. I wonder, when the, when the fishermen's nets began to break, 
the first thing that they probably thought is, this is my security. If those nets go, I can't catch any more fish. And I wonder if we have been afraid to let go of the things in which we find security in order to go deeper and experience the blessings that we might find there.